and welcome to Educators to Educators podcast. I'm Carrie Conover, and this is episode number 44, Building Healthy Boundaries. When students returned to school this year, many of them entered one of the more than 100,000 classrooms across the country staffed by an instructor who is not fully qualified to teach. This is because many districts facing ongoing teacher shortages are hiring underqualified candidates to fill vacancies. While shortages tend to draw attention to recruitment issues, a report finds that 90% of open teaching positions are created by teachers who leave the profession. Some are retiring, but about two-thirds of teachers leave for other reasons, mostly due to dissatisfactions with teaching. Teacher attrition in the United States is about twice as high as high-achieving jurisdictions like Finland, Singapore, and Ontario, Canada. This excerpt that I just read was from an article published by the Learning Policy Institute in August 2017, and not much has changed in the last two years. If you are a teacher, these facts, they don't surprise you. Teaching is an extremely stressful and challenging job, and it also can be one of the most rewarding and fulfilling jobs too. I am deeply concerned about teacher burnout and teacher mental health. There's so much fabulous work going on in this country and around the world to address this issue, including the work being done by Dana Thomas at Happy Teacher Revolution, as well as Francine at the Teacher Self-Care Conference. But we are truly just scratching the surface on this issue. Over my 19 years in education, I've seen every side of education, from nonprofit work to 10 years teaching to my time in ed tech and now in professional development. And in my experience, a lot of the stress on teachers comes from the relationships that exist within schools, such as relationships with parents, students, and fellow colleagues. I've realized one really important thing about teacher happiness. We as educators, we have to own our happiness and we have to make it a priority. No one else is going to do that for us. Unfortunately, tough parents, they're not going to change. And you're always going to have students and colleagues that grind on you. Tough relationships in schools are always going to exist. So if teachers are going to make it for the long haul in the classroom, they're going to have to start taking ownership over their mental health and happiness. A big part of finding our happiness and balance as an educator is through boundary setting. I've spent months studying and reading about building healthy boundaries, and today I'm excited to share out some of those lessons with you. Today we're going to talk about one, what are boundaries, two, why they're important, and three, how they relate to your job as a teacher. When we as teachers and people do not have clear boundaries, or we're not even sure what our boundaries are, we can confuse people in our life. There are boundaries that are set in our society that are pretty obvious. For instance, when you walk into a Starbucks, you know that it would be crossing somebody's boundary to walk over to a small table, a two-person table, where one person's sitting with their computer and their work bag, and you just sit down at the table with them. We all know that that would be a clear violation of their individual space and boundaries. 
You also wouldn't walk into a McDonald's, walk behind the counter to the fry maker, the fryer, and help yourself to a small fry. There's a clear physical boundary there that says, do not enter. During my time of study, the analogy I heard over and over again was a fence around a house. When you have a fence around your backyard of your house, that's a clear sign that no one should enter your property or your backyard without permission. It draws a clear line for everyone, strangers and neighbors, to understand that the fence represents where they cannot enter. It also may be a boundary for young children or a pet that they should stay inside the fence unless they have permission to leave. There are other boundaries in society as well. It's pretty universally understood that a person cannot come up to me and punch me in the face, or stand in my face and smoke a cigar, or even cuss and yell at me. All over our world, we see and acknowledge boundaries, both physical and emotional. But where the world can get a little confusing for all of us is when the boundaries are a little less clear. Recently, my daughter Emily and I have been enjoying going over to a local forest preserve where they also have a horse farm. So we live near this forest preserve and they also have a working equestrian farm. And we were over there one day with our beagle butch to see the horses. But when we walked up, they weren't in their usual pasture area. So we got curious and started walking back by the stables and the barns. We'd walked past this area in the past when we'd been on bike rides or walks as it's how you get to kind of the paths around the forest preserve, but we'd never really gone close up to those stables. So as we approached the barn, we could see a few of the staff working with a few of the horses and just standing there chatting. Emily and I were thrilled to see that they had moved the majority of horses and ponies into the stables. And my little Emily immediately wanted to go up and say hello and pet the horses. I told Emily, hey, though, we needed to confirm, you know, hey, we need to confirm whether or not we're allowed in the stables. So I looked and looked for signs to tell us one way or another. We didn't see a sign that said, come on in and pet the horses, but we also didn't see a sign that said, do not enter, staff only. It was extremely unclear, and I didn't want to break any rules or put us in any kind of danger. Finally, a younger staff person rounded the corner and saw us standing there, and we asked her if we could come in, and she said, of course, come on in. So I told her, hey, you know, it's really unclear what the rules are, so we didn't want to overstep and be disrespectful. So she laughed and joked and said, yeah, the rules are actually pretty unclear to us, too. So because I've been doing a lot of reading and research around boundaries, I tend to be more aware of them now, and I see them all over. Boundaries are so important. And most importantly, boundaries make us feel safe. Even as adults, even in that horse farm, I was looking for the boundary to help me feel more safe. What an essential lesson for us as parents and teachers that we help our children learn about boundaries. Both setting boundaries for their own personal space, but also the ability to recognize and respect other people's boundaries. Today, though, this episode is about teachers being able to set boundaries in their professional life. As you listen to this, I guarantee you that you're going to start thinking about your personal boundaries as well. And you're going to start thinking about people who overstep your boundaries in your personal and professional life. In the E2E membership site that we launched last month, 
Uh, we're going to be spending time in September focusing on setting healthy boundaries with parents, students, and colleagues. We're going to study the importance of boundaries, the definition of boundaries. We're going to then set boundaries and practice executing on this new skill all while supporting one another. So if you're a member, hang tight. That's going to be so great in September. I'm really, really looking forward to this month. And if you're not a member, we would absolutely love to have you join us. So you can head over to educatorstoeducators.com to learn more about how to become a member. As always, it's super affordable. It's only $10 a month. Or right now we have a special you can get an entire year and get a discount for $100. So if you're interested in joining us for that, we hope to see you over there in that group. So why do we need to set boundaries in our life and at school? Well, first of all, if we have no idea what our own boundaries are, the things that bother us or hurt us or irritate us or invade our space, how can we possibly share those boundaries clearly with others? I was recently reading an article on educationworld.com by Dr. Jane Bluestein, and she says, quote, most successful teachers are those able to ask for what they want with clarity, assertiveness, and great respect for the needs, preferences, and dignity of the students. Did you hear that? Ask for what they want with clarity. Understanding our boundaries means that we need to take a hard look in the mirror. It starts with us. What is bothering you? What are other people doing to invade your space, your time? Are you feeling threatened? Is someone or a group of people taking advantage of you? And are you starting to feel resentful at work or towards certain people? Are you angry? Are you sad? The first step to setting boundaries is identifying what you're willing to put up with and what you're not willing to put up with in your work environment. Maybe it is as simple as wanting students to not touch your desk or the things on your desk. Maybe a colleague borrows your things and doesn't return them. Or maybe a parent approaches you every other day after school wanting to chat about their child's progress. It could be so many things. And maybe something that bothers you as a teacher doesn't bother another teacher. Let's pause there for a second. It could be so many things. And maybe something that bothers you as a teacher doesn't bother another teacher. It is imperative that you figure out what boundaries you need to set that are essential to your own personal work-life happiness. One thing I do want to make clear is that boundaries are not about something that you want from someone else. It's about someone violating your physical or an emotional space. Boundary violations are not things that you want or expect for people. So maybe you're saying, I wish my principal would recognize me in staff meetings, or I wish the teacher next door shared her lesson plans with me, or I wish my parents would write me encouraging emails and recognize all my hard work. These are not boundary violations. Boundary violations is a person coming into your space, either physically or emotionally, and making you feel uncomfortable. Boundaries are important because if you don't make your boundaries clear, you end up feeling all the angst and the stress, and many times the other person has no idea that they've invaded your space. Let's use your teacher desk as an example. Let's say you teach 10th grade and you have new students every 55 minutes. Many of your students come to your English class straight from AP history down the hall with Mr. Barnes. Mr. Barnes lets students sit on his desk, 
then go into his desk drawers to use his supplies, and students often go up to his desk to borrow a pen or a pencil. Mr. Barnes could care less when students touch his things or his desk. He has no boundaries around his personal property. No big deal. That's his preference. But now those same students walk down the hall and enter your classroom. Now, if you've not explicitly told your students that your desk is your personal and private property and that students are not allowed to go into it or touch the things on your desk, how can you expect them to know they are violating your personal space? It's confusing for them because you have completely different boundaries than Mr. Barnes. Let's say you never tell the students that your desk is a no-touch zone at the beginning of the year. What are they naturally going to do? Touch your stuff, take your stuff, borrow your stuff. Now, let's say you know this bothers you. And so at the beginning of the year, you set a very clear expectation, telling students that your desk is off limits and don't touch your stuff. Now they know, right? So they're not going to touch your stuff. So it's simple, right? The boundary's been set. Not so fast. There's something missing. What happens when you are very clear about the boundary you are setting, but the person doesn't take it seriously? What do you do? That's when the consequences become essential. This is the hardest part of boundary setting, and it's the reason so many people are weak at setting boundaries. My mother and stepfather got married when I was 10 years old. And I was the youngest, and we quickly became a family of blended family of six. I was the youngest at 10, and then it went 10, 12, 13, 15. One of the first boundaries my parents set up in our new blended household was that we were never allowed in their bedroom, ever. When I think back on it now, this was most likely because it was the only place in the house that could be perfectly clean and free of chaos. My parents needed that space and we were very clearly not to go in there. But as a 10-year-old, I didn't always like to follow the rules, and one time I got caught sneaking into their room to use their big, luxurious bathtub. And I was caught. I was told that if I ever broke that boundary again, I would be grounded for one month. The consequence was clear. And guess what? I never went into that bedroom again, because my parents were serious about consequences, and they went through with them. Thinking back to the example of personal space of your desk, if you make your boundary clear and a student student violates that boundary, you need to make the boundary more clear by stating a consequence. Now, I can tell you, I can't tell you what that consequence should be, what's appropriate for your students, but it's your job to determine that based on your students' needs and your school setting. The key is that if the boundary is broken again by that same student, you must follow through with the consequence. Let's give the same example to parent email. This is a great time to set boundaries around parent email and communication. You should go back, by the way, and listen to my previous podcast about parent email. I have a few of them. But right now is a great time to set up email and communication boundaries with your parents. The mistake I see over and over again with teachers is that they set up these great boundaries with parents at the beginning of the year, but then they don't follow through with the consequences when the boundaries are broken. So for instance, let's say at parent-teacher night, you say, I only check my email at 8 a.m. and 3 p.m. I do not answer emails during the instructional time of the school day, and I do not answer emails after 4 p.m. So if you have an emergency, please call the office. 
So you as the teacher makes this very clear. And then boom, one night you are checking your email at 8 p.m. and you see an email come through from a parent and it's a really easy answer. It's a two word answer that you could send back to a parent and you answer it. And you think that's a quick response. I'll just check that off the list, no big deal. But guess what? You just blew your boundaries wide open. The parent now knows your boundary and rules around email were a facade. You do check email at night. You do answer parent emails at night. You are now an on-demand teacher. Even though most parents are respectful of your time and they're not doing this on purpose, they're busy, busy people. If they think they can shoot you an email about their child's homework at 8 p.m. and that they'll get a response from you at 9 p.m., they're going to do it over and over again. If they think you can, you know, they can send you a quick email over lunch to pass a message on to their child before school gets out because you've done that before, they're going to use that avenue of communication and email you over their lunch again. It's your job to set the clear boundary and to stick to the consequence. So you say, I will not answer email after 4 p.m. And if you email me after 4 p.m., you'll get a response the next day by 4 p.m. This is a very simple example of boundary setting. The boundary is that you don't email after 4 p.m. The consequence of a parent sending you an email after 4 p.m. is that no matter what, you do not respond to the parent email until the next school day. Listen, consequences, they don't have to be harsh. It can be as simple as you not reacting or responding to something, but you have to stick to what you say, and, or you might as well not have set that boundary in the first place. And again, you'll be the one feeling the angst of parents emailing you at night, expecting an immediate response. They're not going to feel that angst or stress. You're the one that's going to carry it all because they're going to assume that that's okay. Boundaries may need to be set with colleagues as well. Maybe a colleague of yours borrows a resource from you or a few resources from you, and they never seem to return it when they say they will. And this makes you angry or annoyed. So if you don't say anything about it, the colleague will probably continue the behavior because they have no idea that it bothers you. Perfect example of you holding on to all the angst when they feel nothing, and this isn't healthy for you. So the next time the person come in, comes in to borrow something, you may say something like this. Hey, Sam, hey, the last two times you borrowed a resource from me, you brought it back a few weeks later, and I use these resource books multiple times a week. It kind of makes me feel unorganized when I don't have them on my bookshelf. So you can borrow this overnight, but I'm going to need it back on my desk by 9 a.m. tomorrow, and if you don't return it, I'm just not going to be able to lend things out to you anymore. So some of you are thinking, oh my gosh, I could never say that to someone else. That's too uncomfortable. But my question to you is, are you willing to avoid that conversation in exchange for you holding on to the stress and angst and the annoyance of, their, of them disrespecting your things? That's your choice. My guess is the person, if you do that, will apologize to you over and over, especially if you have the conversation with a smile. Guess what? They're going to return that book on time. They just didn't know that this was bothering you. I could go on and on with examples of how this works in your life, and you're going to start noticing them too. I'm going to end here with a few reminders. One, take a look in the mirror and figure out what boundaries and boundary violations matter to you, what really truly bothers you. Two, 
Make sure you're clear with the people around you about what your boundaries are. And three, you gotta follow through with the consequences of a boundary violation, or you probably won't be taken very seriously in the future when you try to set other boundaries. You can deliver these messages in a very professional and kind manner and still feel strong. And I guarantee you at the end of the day, you will feel more empowered and respected by your students, parents, and your peers. As I said earlier, if you found this topic interesting and would like to join us for an even deeper dive into boundary setting at school, you should join us over there at the E2E membership site. With the membership, you get access to hundreds and hundreds of PD videos from previous conferences, free resources, webinars, a fun supportive Facebook group, a virtual meetup, and most importantly, a whole month focusing on setting really strong boundaries. So head over to educatorstoeducators.com to learn more. Thank you so much for joining us today. If you are not following us on social media, make sure you follow us on Instagram, educators to educators, Twitter, and on Facebook. Until next time, my friends, keep on teaching on.